would you take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, we will pick up in verse 1 here in just a minute. If you're using the Pew Bible that is there in front of you, you should be able to turn to page 78, and you will be right where I am. Exodus chapter 16, we will stand and read here in just a moment. Well, one night this week, we had salad, grilled chicken, and roasted potatoes for dinner, and it was really good. About an hour later, after dinner, we had watched Jeopardy as a family together, which we do about every night. I looked at Angela, and I said, my supper is gone. And thankfully, she said, you know, I was just thinking the same thing. Isn't it amazing how you can eat a meal, and sometimes that meal just disappears? So we had cereal. I said, let me get it. I walk into the kitchen, and I come. I balance in two bowls, big, deep cereal bowls. You know, you don't want any little baby cereal bowls. Big, deep cereal bowls. Two spoons. I like the big kind. Angela likes the smaller kind. A gallon of milk and two boxes of cereal. Right there in the living room, I plopped it down, and we ate cereal. I had honey bunches of oats, and Angela, of course, had her all-time favorite cereal, Lucky Charms. We were hungry. And I find when I'm hungry, I do not sleep well, so I don't go to bed hungry. Some people say, you shouldn't eat right before you go to bed. I'm going, if I don't eat right before I go to bed, I won't sleep well. Now, other statements we make when we're hungry are things like, my stomach is growling. I did some research on that. There's a whole lot of science that says, yeah, your stomach does make noise, but you don't need to hear about that right now. But other things that we state when we're hungry is, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Have you ever said that? You know, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I looked that up. You couldn't eat a horse if you tried. There's just too much of it. Or we've said this, how many of you said this? I'm starving to death. I mean, we just had three meals yesterday. We've already had two meals today, just had supper an hour ago. And all of a sudden, I've gotten to the point where I'm so hungry, I think I'm getting ready to die. Isn't it amazing how when we find this hunger in our lives, we exaggerate. But food is an important part of our daily lives. In the morning, we're talking about what we're going to have for dinner before we've even had breakfast or lunch. In the morning, we're packing our lunches or planning our lunches before we've even had breakfast. Food is something that is a big part of our day. And that is the backdrop of which we're going to launch today's sermon from Exodus chapter 16. So stand with me. We're going to read the first eight verses of Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1, says, And they, that's the children of Israel, journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. 
And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord." Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking and walking through this. Now, I need to share with you about the time I got this. I knew on Tuesday where I was going. On Wednesday, I had a lot of it put together in my mind and reading. And Thursday, I sat down and wrote it. And by Thursday lunch, I was done. And about 15 minutes after being done, Satan began to attack. He said, you can't preach this. Don't preach this. This is not what you're to preach. And I have fought this ever since. Satan does not want the truth of God's word to come out to his people. Now, I may not do it well, and I've stated this to you. I may not do it well this morning, but I'll tell you what I do know. I do know what I'm supposed to be preaching on this morning. So I pray that if you're a note-taker, you get ready. And I pray if you're not a note-taker, you think about it. There are pieces of paper there in the pew. I know there are some pink envelopes that will carry quite a few notes if you turn them over on the back. I know there's some yellow forms we ask you to fill out, and there are also some notepads or pieces of paper there if you want to take notes. But church, sometimes God's Word is tough on us. So let's pick up in verse 1. It says, as they journeyed from Elam. If you recall last week, God led them to Mara, where he made the bitter water sweet, and then to Elam. Now, if we're there, verse 27 of chapter 15, where we finished last week, said, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. You know, that's the epiphany of an oasis right there. God led them from a place, Mara, where there was little water and the water was bad, to a place where they had everything they needed. And I bet you there was something in many of them that said, let's just stay right here. Twelve wells, got everything you need. Plenty. You know, we don't always get to, nor do we need to, live in times of plenty. You see, God has additional basic training for them, the children of Israel, as he leads them, and we are needing additional basic training as well. So God leads them from Elam, first to a place that Numbers 33.10 calls by the Red Sea, and then to the wilderness, verse 1, wilderness of sin. This is the seventh stop on their journey to the promised land. There will be a total of 42 stops. Numbers Chapters 31, 32, 33, 34, and list them all in there, and you can really go and see the stops there. The wilderness of sin, the place that God has led them to, is not named after sin, that word that causes us to not think, do, or say what God wants us to do. Not that sin, but it is the area surrounding Mount Sinai. So they're in the wilderness. God is leading them toward the area where Mount Sinai 
is. And we know that God takes them to Mount Sinai in the days ahead, and we will preach that when we get there. But did you notice in verse 1 the date stamp? You said, Jeff, what's a date stamp? Well, it's when all of a sudden we're able to clock time and notice the time frame. Look in verse uh, 1. It says, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Now, if you recall, we preached that before they left Egypt, God said, we're going to start a new calendar for you, and this is day one. And on day one, I want you to pick a lamb. I mean, on day 10, you, day 10, you pick a lamb, and on the 14th day, you kill that lamb, and on the 15th day, we're leaving Egypt. This now tells us that it has been 30 days since they left Egypt, 30 days. You know, we mark all kinds of things with time and God's Word. I think it's important. Every time God gives us a time frame here, we need to look at this time. On the 15th day, they left Egypt, and now it says here that something very unusual has happened. Look in verse 2. Something very, very unusual, Jeff says tongue-in-cheek. Israel complains. Imagine that. In 30 days, they've complained a lot already. And here we are, they're kicking off their month. They just left the place of plenty. They just left waters turned sweet. They just left uh, the parting of the Red Sea. They just left Egypt. And I know we talked about it last week that you have to choose to praise and remember to praise. If not, you can become a complainer. And they're complaining now because, as Scripture says, they no longer have any food. Now, think about this for just a second. This is the first time in the 30 days that they've left that food has become, in Scripture, an issue. Makes me think this is the first time food's become an issue because God pretty much captures about everything they do that needs training. But imagine this, 2.5 million people eating at least three times a day for the last 30 days have had plenty of food up until this point. Church, that is a massive amount of food. Food that they carried from Egypt. Food that would easily cause them to think that we have been taking care of ourselves. And now they've gotten to a point where the food that they carry, the food that they prepared, the food that they've been working on for the last 30 days is now gone. So what do they do? Well, they have two choices like we do. Every time we face a challenging situation, they have a choice. They can complain or they can trust God. They choose, as we've read, to complain. Why? Well, because they've reasoned this, based on what we see from Scripture, that when they run out of food, that they are the end is near, they're getting ready to die. You see, that's how we feel when we are self-reliant people, when we figure that all I have is going to take care of me. Do you know that, that thought process itself is a very challenging process? Self-reliance is a horrible sin in the eyes of God. And church, I battle with that sin. And I bet you I'm not the only one. But God is training them. He's teaching them self-reliance. I read this statement. When we finally get to the end of ourselves, 
we may finally be ready to see what the Lord can and will do to take care of us. Did you notice that? You've got to get to the end of yourself, all the end of yourself. You know, until you surrender, until you give up, until you yield your life to Christ, you're self-reliant. Israel right now, they're going self-reliant. And we run out of food, and they complain. When we get to the end of ourselves, that's where God can step up and show us what he's planned to do already. You see, our self-sufficiency, our self-reliance limits, church limits God's ability to work in our lives. You see, when we have plenty of food, when we have all that we need, we don't turn to him. Self-reliance. God is seeking to train them to follow him and to depend upon him for everything. Let's not forget that God is the one who's leading them. God is the one who's directing them over these 30 days. Let's also not forget that all the scripture is useful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may, complete, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I read this, and then I read Exodus chapter 16, and I have to realize, and I hope that you do, that God has something in here for us to help us become what he wants us to be. Now, while it's reasonable to understand that the food that they carried out of Egypt would eventually run out, there's also a point that God brought them to for a purpose. God brought them to this moment for a purpose. Verse 4 tells us that purpose, that I may test them. I got in my car this morning, and I was backing out of the driveway, and I knew what I was preaching. I told you I've been struggling with it. Not struggling with what I should preach, but struggling with the fact that Satan's going, you don't want to do that. And my car lights up. I'm not even out of the driveway yet. And it says, this tire's got good air pressure. This tire's got good air pressure. This tire's got good air pressure. And this tire has hardly any air pressure. That'll make you want to complain, church. Yesterday, I stopped at some coffee place. And I got a coffee. You know, and I've drank these once or twice. And so I know what they taste like when they're made right, which means if it don't taste right, it's been made wrong. And I walk out and get in my car, and I'm driving away, and I take it a drink, and I'm going, oh, man, this one's been made wrong. And inside of me, you know what I wanted to do? Turn around. And on the outside of me, you know what I did? I turned around. And I went back into the parking lot, and then the Lord said, you just sit right there. And I pulled back out, and I went home. Listen, I get what it means to want to complain. I get it. God says, but I'm testing you. I'm training you. Remember, this whole journey is basic training. Now, we already know that Complaining is not new to Israel. It will be a continual problem for them for years to come. Complaining is a problem today as well. 
I knew I was preaching this, and so it's been in my heart and in my studying and in my writing all week. And you know what? When you become attuned to something like that and you just stop and listen, do you know there's a lot of complaining that goes wrong? I'm not talking about just in the church. I'm talking about in the family, in the business, in the world, just everywhere, complaining, complaining. Online, social media, complaining, complaining. It's everywhere, church. Are you a complainer? Complaining is a form of not trusting God. Let me show you. Let's first look at the object of our complaining. Look in verse two, we said here that they complained against Moses and Aaron where the food ran out and they complained against Moses and Aaron. Verse seven, Moses and Aaron say, what are we that you complain against us? Verse eight, they say, your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. And verse eight again says, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. You know, many times we think that we're complaining about someone or something. I talk to people all the time, and they're going, I don't like this, but I would never question God. When everything they're saying and everything they're doing is questioning God, they've just not used the words, I'm questioning God. We like to try to think we can draw a line that we can complain about this, that, and everything else, but when it comes to God, no, we know we can't do that, and we sort of put a filter on it, even though every bit of it is complaining to God. We wouldn't openly choose to complain about God or complain to God. That's why we pick other things as our target, such as Moses and Aaron. But Scripture clearly teaches us that when we complain, we are complaining against God. You see, as I was backing out of my driveway with this flat tire, I could have complained about 15 different reasons and hows and whats and wheres and all this stuff, but the reality is, is I had to ask myself, is God really in control of all things? Does God really cause or allow all things? You see, what you say to that determines the direction of your life. And I said, okay, God, you're trying to teach me something through this flat tire. Am I going to be willing to learn or am I going to complain? And the Lord says, you don't have time to fix it right now. I'm going to wait and teach you something because after church, when church is over, it's going to be pouring down rain when you change that flat tire. <laughs> you know, the Lord knows when we need to be taught, when we need to be challenged. Take that to heart for just a moment. When we complain, we are complaining in the end against God. And when we start seeing our complaint that way as against God, we begin to see that that's not acceptable. That's not appealing. You see, God is good, holy, perfect, absolutely loving in all that he does. To complain about him is to doubt his goodness, his holiness, and his love for you. Complaining causes us to see God differently than who he is and who he has been. And it causes us to look at him differently moving forward. It causes us not to trust him as we should, and it affects our ongoing daily relationship with him. And to tie this with last week's sermon, a complaining heart cannot be a heart that effectively praises God. If you'll notice the three points that we used last week about why we should 
or four, praise God. What he's done, how he's done, why he's done it, and what he's yet to do, those are the very things that complaining attacks. First of all, complaining is to God. But secondly, complaining causes us to exaggerate. Look at what they say in verse three. Oh, that we had died in Egypt where we had pots of meat and ate bread to the full. Think about their complaining. They were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh would just soon take things from them as he would give them things, but they look back saying, I could eat a horse. They exaggerate. They say, remember back when we were in Egypt, the good old days? Pots of meat. Meat was everywhere. We would eat bread and we would just be so full. Their complaining, their lack of trust in God caused them to long for the days of bondage and of slavery, caused them to remember incorrectly their past. Another exaggeration says, you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly. Think about that statement. I wrote it down right here so I could just in Jeff ease here. I said, the God who delivered them, who leads them, who parted the Red Sea for them, did it all just to kill them in the wilderness? Please. That's so exaggeratedly untrue. This seems to make Israel very unfaithful, doesn't it? But we need to take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit of God to convict us, to show us where we complain, to show us where we do not trust God. The third thing complaining does, we know we're complaining against God and it causes us to exaggerate and not see things accurately. The third thing complaining does are actually a thing that complaining does not do. It does not cause God to turn from us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that complaining, God doesn't say, I'm not dealing with you anymore. No, it doesn't cause God to turn away from us. You know when people complain to me or can people complain about me? That challenges me. When things don't go my way, when my tire is flat, when my coffee is not good, it challenges me to complain. I have to decide how I feel about a situation, how I feel about the complaint, how I feel about the complainer. This is a real place that I get to, and I hope at least one of you get to as well. But God, because he is perfect, loving, good, and holy, when we complain, he doesn't respond to us like we respond when complained against. He responds to us differently. He responds to us with mercy and grace. He does not give us what we deserve, that's mercy. And he gives us what we do not deserve, that is grace. Verse four says, then the Lord said, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. God's response to their testing and their training and their complaining is, let me just open up heaven and pour down bread on you. Verse eight says, the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning, bread to the full. God reveals his provision process for his people, a people that he loves. Now, I pray that you'll take time to study Exodus chapter 16 more. I pray that every time we preach it, you go home ready to open it up and let God teach you more because if we read and we're not going to, verses nine to 36, we understand additional information about God's provision. Let me just give you some summary statements that you will find 
in Exodus chapter 16, picking up in verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Every morning you will find bread. They called it manna. Every morning you will gather a certain amount per person. It's called an omer in my translation. It's about two to three quarts. It's a coriander seed, small thing in the morning that you will happen. God tells them, he says, do not take extra, for if you take extra, it will go bad. Scripture says that it will develop worms and rot and stink. Scripture teaches us in verse 20 that some took more to save for a rainy day. And that's a Jeff term. I didn't find that in Scripture. But it says that they did, and it frustrated Moses because it rotted and it stank. And it meant that they were not obeying God's command for them. Do you ever take more than you need? I vision this in my life as going, well, I got to hold on to this. I don't know if I'm going to need it or not. When God might be trying to get you to let go of it and use it. But we're afraid that we'll complain if we don't have it when we need it. So we hold on to it. This is a lack of trust in God. When God says, I will provide for you every morning, I will make sure that you have plenty, you collect what you need for that day and only that day, and I will take care of you tomorrow. When we go out and grab extra, it's a lack of trust in what God has said that he will do. Scripture goes on to teach that at every evening you will gather quail, and on the sixth day you are to gather for two days. God introduces first time in Scripture, the Sabbath. Verse 23, teaching them to rest. Scripture says in verse 27 that some still went out on the Sabbath looking for manna. They didn't find any. You see, I believe that when God says there won't be any on the seventh day, don't go out and look for it. There's not going to be any on the seventh day. Don't go out and look for it. God saw this, verse 28 says, as a refusal to follow him, not trusting him. God is teaching them through this manna process, through this quail process, a daily, daily church. Don't miss that. Daily dependence upon him and nothing else. God told them to collect a container for keeping, a testimony in days to come. Scripture says that's a gold container, and Moses told Aaron to go get it, and he went and filled it up. And they put it in the, what, you, what would soon become the Ark of the Covenant, and they carried it with them. And guess what about that? It never rotted. Let me tell you this about your testimony, because that's what this was for. Scripture teaches that you, you collect this so that one day you can tell people about how faithful God was, and it will never go bad. Church, can I tell you that your testimony, if you live for God, will never go bad. God wants you to be remembering and collecting the way that he has provided for you so that you can share this provision with other people. God's faithfulness, his love, and his provision provided for them daily, verses 33 and 34. God faithfully provided, church, catch this, for them every day for 40 years. He says, you don't need to go to the grocery store. You don't need to pick list, click list. You don't need to stop by and pick up anything. I'm going to take care of you every single day. God responded to their complaining in love and provision. God desires for them to seek him, praise him, 
and trust him. And that's what he desires of us as well. Now, I want to give you some additional scripture. But see, God's word never makes one point one way. God's word always makes an important point multiple ways. So if you're a note taker, write these down. We're not looking them up. I've got them written down already. First of all, God knows your needs. Just think about that right now. God knows your needs. Matthew chapter six, verse eight, Jesus said, therefore do not be like them. Talking about people who do not believe this. For your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Secondly, God will provide for you. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's not gonna just provide some of your need. He's gonna provide all of your need. God will provide for you. Psalm 81.10, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. We don't have a God who's trying to be chintzy and cheap and only get by. No, he wants us to have life full. God desires you to be full. Psalm 84, 11 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God will withhold nothing. God wants us to have all things. Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, that's Jesus, also freely give us all things. If God has not spared his best, will God spare anything from taking care of his people? The answer is no, he won't. God wants us to trust him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, that God will provide our needs. God wants us to seek him first, Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. God wants us to seek him, Psalm 34, 10. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And God is the only one church, who's able to take care of us. Think about Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I think this is the third sermon in a row that these fantastic verses have come out. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's response to Israel's complaining was love, mercy, grace, and provision. But as we read further, church, God will not always be so accepting of Israel's complaining. You see, he's teaching them to depend upon him, and eventually, we must. He's teaching them now, but as we study, he'll eventually judge them for their lack of faith. When I complain, I'm not pleasing God. Church, that's a statement of truth from Scripture. When I complain, I'm not pleasing God. And I'm challenged by that. 
You see, God does not want me to complain. He wants me to act in love. He wants me to trust him, seek him in all things. Give you these five statements. We can complain or we can trust. We can complain or we can praise. We can complain or we can please God. We can complain or we can seek God. We can complain or we can depend fully upon God. I have to ask myself, am I a complainer? God's word requires it of me to allow scripture to have that impact in my life. And then the challenge you have to ask based on that same truth is, are you a complainer? What does God want to do when you allow yourself to get to the end of your resources and then you trust him to take care of you in every situation? Amen?